John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com. Promo code John Z. This is episode number 92 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual one pod that's at individual one pod at our twitter handle you can find my brand new column which is a review of a rather extraordinary super tuesday boy that escalated quickly yeah um (laughs) folks a week ago on episode 90 of the individual one podcast i was rather despondent I felt like we were heading towards the the worst possible scenario, which would be a general election campaign between Bernie Sanders, pacifistic socialist, and Donald Trump, corrupt con man, and who knows what kind of a third party. We interviewed cable news veteran David Schuster about his belief that Bernie Sanders was being underestimated and that Sanders would actually not only win the nomination of the Democratic Party, but also defeat Donald Trump in a general election. Now, I took issue with him on both counts, but I was starting to become accepting of the idea that Sanders was at the very least, and this, I think, is something that I probably have not articulated enough about my fears about Sanders with regard to his impact on the general election. It wasn't just that I thought he might win the nomination. It's that I thought he was going to for sure be in a position to essentially torpedo the general election hopes of anybody else who might win the nomination other than him because he runs a cult 
And because uh, if his cult got invested in the idea uh, after the first few contests that he was going to be the nominee and that therefore anything that prevented him from being the nominee was another example of him being robbed because they have this bogus narrative that he somehow got robbed in 2016 when Hillary Clinton was the Democratic nominee. This was going to cause huge problems for whoever the Democratic nominee was, uh, even if it was Joe Biden, the guy who for uh, most of the last year and a half I've been saying uh, should be the Democratic nominee if your goal is to beat Donald Trump. And so just a week ago, it looked really bleak. And it's, I think, important to, to go back to that <laughs> ancient time period and, and really just grasp how bad things looked. Because at that point, Joe Biden was putting all of his eggs into the South Carolina basket. And I always believed he was going to win South Carolina. I always believed that. But I did not believe he was going to win by the margin that he did. And the reason why he won by the margin that he did last Saturday was because of one thing and one thing only. Congressman Jim Clyburn gave him an impassioned endorsement. That gave him the black vote, over 60 percent of the black vote. And Bernie Sanders people did not show up in the numbers that had been expected, which has been the case throughout this whole primary season. And, you know, one of the things that has been so depressing about the Trump era is that people like me who believe in truth and logic and rationality have had to adjust to a world where none of those things seem to matter. It's almost like logical gravity has lost its power. And so even I, at times, when I don't trust my instincts, from a cerebral standpoint, I kept telling you, Bernie Sanders is underperforming here. He is underperforming his polls, and he's underperforming what he did in 2016. And yet, even I still bought into this idea that he might be a replay of Trump, of Trump 2016. That when you see his crowds, and you see his, the cult-like nature of his support, and you see the momentum building, and if he does as well as expected on Super Tuesday— there's not going to be the ability to catch him. And, and what was so important was making sure he didn't come out of last night with a large lead. Because if he came out with a large lead, not only would it be impossible to catch him as far as the number of delegates before the convention, but going back to what I said previously, it would give him and his cult the leverage to claim that they were robbed. And if they believed that they were robbed and that that became a huge part of the narrative, then uniting the party to defeat Donald Trump would be next to impossible. Correct. Because you're going to need a united Democratic Party to beat an incumbent president with a good economy during peacetime. And that's under the best of circumstances, even if it's a corrupt con man like Donald Trump. Correct. So. That was always my great fear. Not, I, I never really 100% believed that Sanders was going to be the nominee. My belief was he was going to make it impossible for the party to be united going up against Trump and that he might uh, prevent someone who was viable, like a Joe Biden, from being the nominee because you just never know 
once the chaos ensues. And if you go to a convention, who the heck knows what's going to happen? I mean, all, all of that is bad news for beating an incumbent president. So you have this situation where it, what was expected after even Biden's win in South Carolina, I told you, and this was before a whole bunch of things happened because, wow, things really happened quickly. Are you not entertained? Yeah, I mean, just it's amazing the things that happen on a daily basis now. But on Sunday in episode number 91, I, I laid out the case that, OK, Biden's back in the game. Uh, he will win the South thanks to the black vote. I think he's got a shot in Texas. I told you, which is kind of shocking to me that, well, I shouldn't be shocked because the media is always a bunch of morons. But uh, the, the, the media narrative was somehow that, that, that Biden had no chance in Texas. I told you even before everything that happened between Sunday and Tuesday that this was going to come down to Texas. I thought it would be very, very close. And I thought Biden had a shot uh, of winning Texas. Well, that turned out to be exactly what happened. Uh, but I, I believe that in general, Sanders and Biden were going to basically split the number of states. Sanders would win California and that the great fear was that here in California, he was going to win by a large enough margin and that no one else would reach the threshold and that that would give him a delegate lead out of Super Tuesday that was insurmountable. Not that he was necessarily going to get to the magic number eventually of a majority of delegates to clinch the nomination before the convention. So there was always going to be the option of taking Sanders out, but it was going to be exceedingly difficult and it was going to come with it a huge, massive cost, uh, which might be the difference between defeating Donald Trump in November and not defeating him. So that was the lay of the land. And I was becoming more optimistic about Biden. But because of this this loss of faith in rationality and political gravity, uh, I, I was probably too pessimistic. And then some things started happening that I was really surprised by. I was surprised when Amy Klobuchar, who at one point I, I thought was the better option to go up against Trump than Biden, because as I have said many times, Biden's the starting pitcher here in the seventh game of the World Series, and he's throwing 72, 73 miles per hour. That's not going to hack it. You got to go to the bullpen immediately. I knew that wasn't going to happen. I, I said very clearly that was never going to happen. Biden was never going to get out until after South Carolina. Elizabeth Warren was never going to go get out. Other candidates were never going to get out in time for Amy Klobuchar to have a clear path. But if, if in theory that's what you wanted to do was beat Donald Trump, I thought that was the best option. Well, it became clear, very obvious, that that was never going to happen. And so, uh, you know, with Klobuchar deciding to get out before Super Tuesday, I was really surprised because I thought, well, she was doing an important function by if she wins her home state of Minnesota, that would keep Sanders from winning the state. And that would keep his delegate total down because the entire thought process about Tuesday was defensive. It was defensive. Keep Bernie Sanders from running away. You got to keep him in the ballpark because if you can at least, you know, this is a marathon and you can at least see the runner in front of you, you got a shot. But if you can't see him, it's very demoralizing and the momentum takes over. And we saw what happened with Trump in 2016 and it's history repeating itself. So I was surprised and even questioned on Twitter the decision for her to get out. 
Well, what's obvious now in retrospect was that the Biden people went from defense to offense because Amy Klobuchar chose uh, selflessly to get out before her home state after putting all of this effort in and putting more money into Super Tuesday than the Biden campaign did. She gets out. Pete Buttigieg gets out. And they not only get out, but they go to Texas, which was a brilliant move. They go to Texas to endorse Joe Biden in person. Now, to do it in Texas was incredibly smart. Uh, it was it was smart because that was the big state that they thought they had a shot uh, of at least coming close to beating Sanders, if not defeating him and preventing him from getting a whole heck of a lot of delegates. So even though Klobuchar and Buttigieg have absolutely no connection to the state of Texas, I think it set a huge message that this is an unprecedented situation, that this is all hands on deck, that this is an emergency, this is not a drill. We are all going to get together and we are going to do this now before Super Tuesday because we cannot afford to let this get out of hand. And it worked. It worked better than I ever possibly thought it could have. Now, I started to get a sense Tuesday morning with some late polls that this might really be happening. And I sent out uh, on Twitter uh, several benchmarks for Joe Biden to potentially take control of this race based upon the results of last night. And the benchmarks were pretty, pretty clear. They were pretty simple. Win Texas. Win Texas. Get 25% of the vote in, here in California. Get 60% of the black vote nationwide. Have Mike Bloomberg and Elizabeth Warren be viable in the big Bernie states, Texas and California especially, and have Bernie Sanders lose Massachusetts. I predicted that at least three or four of those things would happen and that Biden would have a good path to the nomination. Well, as it turned out, wow. Boy, that escalated quickly. It went even better than I thought, although some of this was almost exactly accurate. Biden won Texas which was a shocker to the rest of the news media, uh, but not necessarily to me. He got, at this point, and California is so weird in the way we count votes. Who knows what the final results will finally be? But as I speak to you right now, he got exactly, or has exactly, 25% of the vote in California. There's not a, a, an accurate account of the total black vote, but it, it seems very clear from the results in the South that he got at least in the in the realm, if not more than 60 percent of the black vote nationwide. Bloomberg and Warren were viable in some of the states, although it, they might not be viable statewide here in California. Bloomberg was in Texas. It does not appear Warren will be in either state, although she might get some delegates uh, from a district level. So that was about a half. He, they got, he got about half of what he needed there. And then came the most shocking result of the night, although it didn't happen in this order. And that is that Bernie Sanders not only didn't win Massachusetts, where he had held this massive rally on Boston Common over the weekend, and I even tweeted out a video of that that was an astonishing video, it might have been a little distorted because of the, the, the way that the video was created, but it was obvious that this was a massive, massive crowd. 
approximately 13, 15, maybe more than that, thousand people uh, in Boston Common on a cold weekend day. Now, Boston is obviously a, a very large college town. Not all these people were college kids, but you got a lot of college kids who were probably there looking for free tuition or having their their uh, their loans uh, forgiven for them, uh, something free. Um, people will show up for free stuff. Uh, but that was an amazing video. And when I tweeted that, by the way, last time I checked, it's been seen by over a million people, or at least has over a million views, which is, for something I tweet, an extraordinary amount of views because it was such a striking video and i think it i'm not sure it didn't have a negative impact on bernie sanders because i think that the the specter of trump's campaign in 2016 may have had an impact here on bernie sanders in 2020 and what i mean by that is there were so many parallels to see Sanders as the anti-establishment candidate, the fringe candidate, the guy everyone says is a nut job, the guy who's getting this cult-like crowd, uh, these huge events that dwarf everybody else's, the guy who's clearly got you know, a bit of, a, of an ego, he's narcissistic, uh, and, and he's not controllable. I mean, the parallels were very, very similar, and I think that there were some people in the Democratic Party, and the Democratic base who got very nervous about this, that even if it works, we just saw what, what happens with Trump. Maybe we don't want this. Maybe we don't need this. Uh, you know. And I also, by the way, think that the more Sanders got publicity, that some people, and I've been saying this for months, finally found out who Sanders is. Correct. They finally found out that he's a democratic socialist, that he calls himself a democratic socialist, that he is not technically a member of the Democratic Party, that he's a pacifist who has an affinity for Fidel Castro. I mean, these are all things that I think started to erode, not at Bernie's base, but at his ability to grow his base. And so the state of Massachusetts, you know, you're, you're thinking this is the home state of Elizabeth Warren. Right. So and I, I really loathe Elizabeth Warren. I think that uh, that she is a very insecure person who is extremely inauthentic. Correct. Uh, and I think she would have lost to Donald Trump, maybe pretty significantly. Correct. Um, so I, I do not like her. And uh, it, this is her home state. Now, I gave her a lot of grief, rightfully so, because she finished a week distant fourth in New Hampshire which is essentially a satellite of Massachusetts. And I got to tell you, what what happened last night in Massachusetts is the most shocking, inexplicable political result of, of this stature that I can remember in the 40-some years that I have been following politics. Because you, you got to remember, you got New Hampshire— where Joe Biden campaigned, where he did a debate, where he had offices, uh, where it's obviously one of the, the first two contests that everybody focuses on. And it is essentially the same state as Massachusetts. I mean, New Hampshire, half the state gets its media from Boston, Massachusetts. 
I've, I've lived in Boston. I've spent a lot of time in New Hampshire. I, I, I mean, it is essentially this. It's not exactly the same state. I mean, you know, New Hampshire has more of an independent streak, you know, live free or die. It's not as nearly as libertarian as it used to be. Uh, so it doesn't have some of the same liberal bastions as Massachusetts. But culturally, it's the same. It's the same state. And so Warren finishes fourth. Biden finishes fifth. They're in single digits. And that was just a month ago. <laughs> just And so, and now, last night, after not campaigning in Massachusetts, apparently spending only a few pennies in Massachusetts, there's no evidence he even set foot in the state, had no television ads at all, and he's running against one... Bernie Sanders, who just held this massive rally in Boston, and two, the home state senator and Elizabeth Warren, and somehow Joe Biden not only competes, he wins. He wins somewhat easily. And Elizabeth Warren comes in third, which is just hilarious and embarrassing and joyously so and was one of my favorite results of the night because I dislike Elizabeth Warren so much and because I've been rooting uh, for Joe Biden as the last best alternative to avoid a Bernie Sanders Donald Trump matchup but but for Joe Biden to win Massachusetts <laughs> under these circumstances is is it's just stupefying it doesn't make any sense at all. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, and and that right there was significant, not because it end just because it ended Elizabeth Warren's campaign. I mean, it's over when you finish third in your home state to a guy who didn't even campaign. Uh, you, you have no claim. You have no claim at all. But it also destroyed Bernie Sanders' entire argument. And uh, and that might be the biggest thing that happened last night. There there's going to be. You know, I'm sure some a little bit of revisionist history once all the delegates are counted from last night. And it is theoretically possible. No one knows yet because this is such a complicated process. But it is possible that Sanders might still be ahead uh, once all of the delegates are counted, depending on how California breaks down. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Biden will now be ahead in delegates. But there, there's going to be. You know, the media, because now they want to create faux drama because now they're a little bit afraid that Biden might have this thing by the throat. They're going to tell you, oh, my gosh, this is neck and neck, uh, when in reality, and I'll explain why, that's not that's not really the case. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even if somehow Sanders is a little bit ahead in delegates because his argument for the nomination fell apart. And if his and if he's going to go to the convention and somehow be the the, the pick there, which wasn't going to happen before, but it's certainly not going to happen now because the superdelegates are all going to flood to Joe Biden if need be. But Bernie Sanders lost his entire argument to be made at the convention because he loses Massachusetts. His whole deal is I bring new voters. I bring young voters. Look at my crowds. Well, that happened in Massachusetts, and he got beat. He got beat by a guy who didn't even campaign. And then right next door, Biden wins Maine. 
So if you're Bernie Sanders and you're from Vermont, and and, and by the way, Maine could matter. There, there is a scenario where one of the congressional districts in Maine could theoretically decide the presidency. And so when you're when you're a senator from Vermont and you lose Maine to Joe Biden, you lose Massachusetts to Joe Biden, then you lose uh, uh, Minnesota, thanks to Amy Klobuchar pulling out and endorsing Joe Biden, and you lose Texas to Joe Biden, where your great firewall is supposedly the Latino turnout that only you can provide, I'm sorry. There, there's no argument there. You have no case. You, there is, there's no argument to be made for Bernie Sanders, and he doesn't have a large enough base to get anywhere near now, especially after what happened last night, to winning the nomination on his own. He was only going to be the nominee if he could get to that magic number of just over half the delegates. Well, that's not going to happen now. I mean, barring just some sort. I mean, basically at this point, Joe Biden would have to have a medical emergency, which, look, I mean, that's certainly possible. He's a man of advanced age and, you know, he doesn't at times appear to be all there. Uh, so there, there, there are all sorts of things that could still happen. But this is all presuming that we don't have a massive black swan event. In, the, in this day and age, heck, uh, that can happen very, very quickly, uh, as we've seen over the last few days. And I have to say that if I made a miscalculation in all this, it was my skepticism that we were still living in an era where people were paying enough attention to where that kind of opinion shift could happen in just two days. I was very skeptical, and wrongly so, that all of this could shift on a dime. Uh, I have used the the analogy of an aircraft carrier and that this uh, campaign was an aircraft carrier after New Hampshire that was pointed in the wrong direction. It was pointed in the direction of a Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump general election, which would be a disaster for the country and for the world. And I was hitting the panic button probably sooner and harder than almost anybody else was. And if people like me hitting the panic button got Democrats to wake the hell up and get the last reliable train out of Dodge, then fine. I'm happy to be wrong. Uh, But I did not believe that this was going to be possible in such a short period of time. I just didn't think where people were paying enough attention. I thought the early votes, especially in Texas and California, were going to be too difficult to overcome. But that was not the case because those benchmarks that I laid out there, Biden essentially hit every single one of them, uh, even more so than I predicted. I predicted he would hit at least three or four. Uh, He basically hit all five for all intents and purposes because now uh, Bloomberg is out of the race. Warren, who knows, by the time uh, this podcast is over, maybe she'll be out of the race, uh, too, because this was a complete disaster for her. Complete disaster for her. Uh, I mean, she never came close to winning a state. She finishes third in her home state, fourth in her satellite state of New Hampshire. Uh, Now, she will get a, as I wrote in a column, which you can find, that individual one pod, and I hope you'll check out where I go through the winners and losers from last night. Uh, you know, she'll get a participation trophy from her fans in the news media, which has always been her base, big base of support for having taken out Mike Bloomberg. 
uh, in those two debates. And you know what? Uh, that that was probably significant. I, it might be a little overrated because I, I'm not sure that, that Bloomberg was ever going to be the major threat that the media portrayed him as being. I, I, I was correct in my analysis of these TV ad candidates, Tom Steyer and Mike Bloomberg. I never believed that you could win a Democratic nomination uh, uh, simply by buying ad space. Because, it, first of all, in, inevitably, the people who buy a lot of TV ad space, their polling numbers are inflated. And I'll say this one more time as to why this is the case. Polling is basically someone calling you. And you deciding, okay, I'll answer the phone call. That is a passive act. That is a passive act. And if if a passive person might answer the phone and go, well, I just saw a commercial for Mike Bloomberg. He seems pretty good. uh, And I'll support him. But that person is not going to do the action uh, that requires uh, exceeding inertia, which is the greatest force in the universe, especially for a lot of lazy people, to actually go out and vote. Stand in line at times and vote. And so their num- their poll numbers end up being inflated. And that's what happened with Tom Steyer. And that's what happened with Mike Bloomberg. Actually, in some ways, Bloomberg did a little bit better than I expected. I mean, he's going to be viable in a lot of states. He, he won American Samoa, which is quite amazing. Uh, but he uh, he was viable for delegates in several states. Uh, and, you know, got in the range of 20 percent in several states. But and he beat Elizabeth Warren quite a bit. I mean, that's kind of funny to me that Elizabeth Warren gets credit for taking down Mike Bloomberg when in most of the states, I haven't done the math, but by it, it feels to me as if in most of the states that mattered, Bloomberg actually beat Warren, came in third. Warren came in fourth. That's the way it was uh, here in California which is, you know, hardly a, uh, a state that you would think fits Bloomberg. I mean, Bloomberg's a New York Republican, and, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren is a progressive. And this is obviously a very, very liberal state. I have to say, one of the, I'm so used to the, the worst possible scenario in any news story being the most likely outcome. I almost have PTSD. And so it's very odd to see a situation like last night where almost everything had at least some good news. There was there was good news even here in California in that if Bernie Sanders is struggling to get over 30 percent of the vote, which is what he apparently is going to end up doing in California, if a socialist can barely break 30 percent in a communistic state like California, maybe there's some shred of hope for us still here. Uh, I mean, one of the more amazing things I saw as I was going through the results is that Michael Bloomberg won Marin County, which is just outside of San Francisco and one of the most liberal counties in the entire state of California. Now, he didn't win by much, and the turnout wasn't that large. Uh, and, And who knows whether or not that'll change as more and more votes come in. But, uh, you know, it it was it was rather strange. I mean, the whole night was incredibly strange with lots of surprises and almost all of them were good. In fact, one of the things that I thought was was the, the best thing that happened was the Amy Klobuchar effect. 
I mean, I'm a fan of Amy Klobuchar, and you know she's smart enough to get out, endorse Joe Biden, and Joe Biden ends up winning Minnesota in 24 hours, less than 24 hours. I mean, it's just amazing to me in this day and age where people are living in their bubbles that that news was able to get out there to enough people to where they shifted their votes from Amy Klobuchar to Joe Biden, and he ends up winning a state that Bernie Sanders would have otherwise won. And it was obvious that Joe Biden was very surprised and very grateful to Amy Klobuchar uh, for that result. And why is that significant? Well, that's potentially extremely significant because Joe Biden's going to be looking for a vice presidential nominee. And Joe Biden is going to have to pick a female, and it's going to have to be, obviously, a female significantly younger than he is. Well, who's in that category? Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar, and, you know, and this gets to this, this PTSD I have where my, my logic uh, I lose confidence in because it hardly ever turns out in a logical way anymore. Rationality hardly ever wins the day. But rationally... A Biden-Klobuchar tandem would be very formidable. I mean, the reality is that you're going to have to win Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. We know that. I mean, that's always been, it's, it's laid out as clear as could possibly be. And, you know, Joe Biden has a connection to Pennsylvania. And while Amy Klobuchar doesn't have a direct connection to Wisconsin, Minnesota and Wisconsin are right next to each other. They're culturally the same. I think that you know, you've got to do everything you can, can to win Wisconsin. Wisconsin right now looks like the toughest of the three, which is a little surprising to me. Uh, but demographically, you don't have a, a significant number of black votes in Wisconsin as you do in Pennsylvania and, and Michigan. So I, I think Klobuchar would help significantly in Wisconsin. See, and that's where your, your convention is. Your, your convention's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So you got to throw everything into Wisconsin. If you don't win Wisconsin, you might as well give up. And I can't think of anybody else that helps win Wisconsin more than Amy Klobuchar. Now, I, I will also acknowledge that because I like Klobuchar and because, because both Biden and Klobuchar have, for instance, uh, effusively praised their friend, the deceased John McCain, that as a lifelong Republican, that makes me feel a lot more comfortable. That makes me feel a lot more comfortable with them as far as the military is concerned and commander in chief and, you know, that, that they're not complete whack jobs. They get it. Uh, they both seemingly have the same uh, background, uh, the, the same love of country, uh, the same middle class bona fides, the, the same reliance on heart. Uh, and it's very clear. It is very clear that the Biden campaign is going to use heart as the centerpiece of their attacks on on Donald Trump. I'll get to that in uh, after we um, take our break. But I, I, I do believe that Klobuchar is a great fit. Unfortunately, we don't live in a world where, you know, that necessarily wins the day. I am well aware that there's going to be a lot of pressure, especially considering the fact that black people ended up uh, allowing Biden's campaign to survive, that he's probably going to be under pressure to put someone on the ticket who is a person of color. And the most logical person there would be Kamala Harris. Although I have to say, I am 
baffled as to why Kamala Harris said nothing before the California primary. I, I was I was more confident of a Kamala Harris endorsement before Super Tuesday of Joe Biden than I was of an Amy Klobuchar endorsement because Amy Klobuchar obviously was still running and was running in her home state of Minnesota where she was leading in the polls. Kamala Harris had seemingly nothing to lose, but I didn't hear a peep out of Kamala Harris. So I don't know how that might play into the vice presidential sweepstakes, but it's got to be a woman. It's got to be a woman who is well-known and and of the right age. And while there are a couple of other possibilities, it would certainly seem to be uh, between Klobuchar and Harris. Warren obviously was campaigning and auditioning for that role. If Sanders was the nominee, there was a scenario where Biden would be forced to choose Warren as a compromise at a convention, one, to get her delegates, and two, to placate some of the progressive wing with Bernie Sanders. I am now hopeful that that's no longer going to be needed, because if Warren was the VP, that would actually diminish a lot of my uh, enthusiasm for Joe Biden. And let let me be clear, it is so bizarre that uh, I even have enthusiasm for Joe Biden, because I, I don't uh, agree with him on hardly anything politically. And in 2009, I did a, uh, a documentary film that debuted on the Today Show called Media Malpractice, in which there's several minutes torching Joe Biden. Uh, but this is the world we're now living in. <laughs> this is this is where we, we are now. Uh, you know, you, you don't uh, you know go with the army you wished for. You go with the army you have. And this is it. I mean, if you don't want uh, Donald Trump to have a second term, uh, it's got to be it's Joe Biden or bust. And I think a lot of Democrats finally realize that. I think it, you know, it's, it's a little bit, this is a weird analogy, but I have a seven-year-old daughter who's in the process of struggling to, to learn to read. And when you read, you know, for a very long time, you're not getting it, you're not getting it. The, the words just don't come together. And then almost overnight, it's like magic, you're able to read. Well, that seems like kind of what happened with a large portion of the Democratic base with where to go in this primary. They weren't getting it. They weren't getting it. They weren't getting it. And then all of a sudden, Jim Clyburn kicked him in the ass. Uh, black voters said, uh, okay, uh, you, don't know, you guys don't know what the hell you're doing. Uh, we're going to show you the path here. And everyone finally said, oh, okay, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, we're, we're, this is the direction we're going to go. This is the last train out of Dodge. Uh, it's either this or Bernie Sanders. And uh, the Bernie Sanders train doesn't doesn't look like uh, a, a train we want to be on because, frankly, it looks a lot like the Trump 2016 train, only it might not end up in victory. And, uh, by the way, speaking of Kamala Harris, I, I do have to mention that it is, <laughs> and this is kind of the theme of how quickly the world changes, but I do have to mention that it is now officially hilarious that I believe it was on June 29th of last year the first Democratic debate, that's right, the first Democratic debate was on June 29th, I believe, of, of 2019. And after that debate, Kamala Harris, who had kind of gone after Joe Biden a bit, uh, was declared by the media to be the winner. She was a top-tier candidate and a major threat to win the nomination. And after that debate, she got asked by MSNBC's Chris Matthews whether or not quote, Joe Biden was finished, was finished. <laughs> you cannot be serious. Let's take a look at where we are now. 
much less than a year later. Kamala Harris never even got to the first contest before she dropped out. Chris Matthews just got forced to retire because of a number of issues, uh, which I'll get to in in a second. And Joe Biden is now on the verge of being the Democratic presidential nominee. Boy. That escalated quickly. I mean, it is it is a bizarre world we're living in. And I mocked it at the time. And, and uh, you know, Chris Matthews is somebody with whom I've always had a very conflicted relationship. If you uh, listen to episode, um, I guess it was the last episode of the, of the podcast, or maybe it was a couple episodes ago. It's all kind of coming together. But I recently told a story on this podcast about Chris Matthews uh, having grown up with my mother, and my mother's cousins in the Somerton section of Philadelphia. And it's a very long, long story. It's actually a fantastic story. Uh, But uh, just after 9-11, he came back to the area to speak at a church that's on the property that was once owned by uh, my ancestors. And uh, as part of that, I was in charge of kind of showing him around, and I took him to, to my grandfather's den where uh, he was able to see the the bust of the dead donkey named Moses, who he used to feed as a kid, who became a local legend. It's an incredible story. I don't have time for it all now. But I got to know Chris a little bit and have communicated with him uh, over the years. And I've always thought that he was a bit nuts. Uh, and, and what was interesting about Chris to me is he was very liberal, but thought of himself as a conservative, he even I remember telling me, he says, I have a conservative gut. And I guess by, you know, modern Democratic standards, he was or is somewhat of a conservative. He's less liberal than most. And, uh, and you know, he's right about some things, but oftentimes he's way off. And over the years, his ability to do the program had kind of deteriorated. Um, I thought he got a raw deal for the whole Nazi Bernie Sanders thing, but it was obvious that the Sanders people had attacked him and this had had an impact on his standing in MSNBC. Well, then he then once, you know, the blood is in the water, the sharks come and he gets attacked for his propensity for telling women that they look nice. And that was apparently too much for him to survive. I think he saw the handwriting on the wall he didn't want to become Matt Lauer, who got decapitated over a somewhat similar situation. And he resigned on the air the night before Super Tuesday. It was extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, he never, apparently never even gave anyone notice, but he retires. And so here we have uh, Chris Matthews asking Kamala Harris in June of last year whether Joe Biden is finished. Well, uh, Chris Matthews is finished. Kamala Harris may or may not be finished, depending on the vice presidential sweepstakes, but she never even got to get one vote uh, in the Democratic uh, primary situation. And I have to tell you that from a purely symbolic standpoint, uh, and I realize this isn't going to have any direct impact over what ends up happening here, but it is strange for me to, to think about the idea that Joe Biden could finally become president in the same year that Chris Matthews, who is basically the personification of the classic Biden Democrat. I mean, the Biden Democrat is Chris Matthews. Uh, You know, Biden has uh, roots in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Chris Matthews is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You know, blue collar, middle class uh, upbringing. 
uh, you know, somewhat moderate conservative gut with the with a heart. Uh, they're the 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 same age group basically, and and they both and, and and ironically they both have similar issues with regard to their interaction with women because there's nobody who believes Chris Matthews was malicious or insidious in his interactions with women. He's just from a different era. He's from an old school like Biden is. You're going to I'm sure the Trump people are going to bring out all these old videos of of Biden being handsy with women and girls. It's just a different era. And in in the era that Matthews grew up, it was okay to tell an attractive woman, a woman that she looked attractive. But now in in this super woke world, especially in the MSNBC environment, that's no longer okay. And so it's awfully weird to me to think that in the same year that Matthews gets gets forced into retirement for doing Bideny things, that Joe Biden is going to end up not only being the Democratic presidential nominee, but maybe president. But heck, we live in such a strange world. I guess anything is possible uh, at this point. Uh, but I did at least want to mention that that the the Matthews thing happened. And I do find it to be at least symbolically significant. Now, in a moment, I'll have some thoughts on where all this leaves us with Trump and something Trump did today, which is bizarre even by his standards. But first, here's an interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. MB Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, 
essentially it's it's uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know is you know can can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products, but tell us uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they if they use Imbue Botanical products. Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just you don't want to deal with with folks like that. It's it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at Imbue Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a new story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, it goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're, we are a higher-priced product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness. And, you know, what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, they want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products and, or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.im, 
B is in boy, UECBD.com, MBUCBD.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. So getting back to the political campaign and where we are and where we're headed. Look, it is uh, in my belief that Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic presidential nominee, but there's still going to be bumps in the road. I mean, there's still going to be times that I'm sure he'll make gaffes, that the media will latch on to those because they need drama now. I mean, they're going to need programming. I mean, if this goes as it looks and Biden does as well next Tuesday as he should, and then the following Tuesday, by the end of March, the handwriting is going to be on the wall uh, and and the media will you know, not have uh, the drama of a brokered convention, not a truly brokered convention that they were expecting. And so now all of a sudden, you know, m- at least May and June uh, need to be filled. So they're, they're not going to be happy uh, with that. Uh, they're also not totally thrilled with a, a Biden candidacy because he's he's actually pretty boring especially in comparison to Bernie Sanders, who would, you know, shake up the world. Uh, and so I, I'm not under, under any delusions that this is going to be totally clear sailing for Biden. I'm sure there's going to be fake drama uh, because that's what the media wants. But Biden is now in a, a very, very strong position, if only because he has still cards to play. And I got to say, I've been critical of Barack Obama for not coming forward and putting his finger on the scale, so to speak. But now that decision looks brilliant because now he's Biden still has that card to play if he needs it. It's still in his back pocket. And now because Biden won South Carolina and because he essentially won Super Tuesday, it won't be look it won't look like Obama is forcing Biden on the electorate. He would just be, if needed, pushing him over the finish line. And whether that comes at the convention or uh, during the general election, who knows? But that decision now looks brilliant. You know, I, I was clearly wrong about that, although, you know, in my opinion, uh, this was such an important uh, situation, such a dramatic situation, such a perilous set of circumstances that there needed to be something done dramatically to make sure that Bernie Sanders was not the Democratic nominee. But I, I no longer believe that we're in a, a great threat of that. And if you're Donald Trump, the worst part of this is not only is Sanders not going to be the nominee, it looks like, again, this is the most likely scenario that Sanders isn't even going to be able to claim he got robbed. And Trump has really, really been trying to push that narrative. Correct. I mean, he he did it uh, even this morning where he was attacking Elizabeth Warren, getting in his last Pocahontas shots because she's going to be gone soon, and uh, blaming her for Bernie Sanders not winning Massachusetts, as if that was really the key to the whole night anyway. Uh, But the point that Trump is trying to get across is that the Bernie people should feel aggrieved, that the system is against them, that the the system is rigged against them, and that therefore they should either stay home or maybe even come to him. And I have said many times that the Bernie base and the Trump base are not all that different, really. Correct. And that causes both problems and opportunities. And Trump is smart about this. So but that's that is a narrative now 
that there's a very good chance isn't going to take hold and that Trump is not going to be able to have huge success being able to claim uh, that the the Sanders people got robbed. And uh, look, the Bernie people are nuts. So there's always going to be Bernie people who are not going to get totally on board, may not show up, maybe even decide to have a temper tantrum and vote for Trump. But hopefully that number is if you're if you're Joe Biden is a very, very small number. Uh, at least it's manageable. But my fear was always that this was going to be not manageable, that this was going to be a situation where they really did have to steal it from Bernie Sanders. And we no longer really have to worry about that. Uh, so Trump is going to get uh, a Joe Biden who is not as debilitated as he might have been otherwise. Uh, this is the guy who he committed impeachable offenses with Ukraine in an effort to try to to soil because he feared him so much. Correct. And now we're going to likely get that head-to-head matchup. And what, what I like about where the Biden campaign seems to be heading, and Jim Clyburn really articulated this exceedingly well uh, in his speech after Biden won South Carolina, where he talked about uh, America being good versus America being evil or bad. And he really articulated this as a, an existential question in this election as to who are we? Are we good or are we bad? We're better than that. I mean, I, I really believe that that's going to be the theme, that this is, they want to make this uh, the, the, the We're better than that. argument against the Trump argument, which is, Are you not entertained? And that's essentially, I mean, in two seconds, that's what the Biden-Trump campaign will be about. It's going to be, We're better than that. Versus, Are you not entertained? Now, I don't know 100% who wins that battle, but I got to believe, because I grew up believing that America was the greatest country that was ever created. I got to believe that there's still 51% of Americans who are in the... We're better than that. Rather than the... Are you not entertained? I could be wrong. This is back to the lack of faith and rationality. But, but I, I, I like that as an argument. This isn't about policy. In fact, the other day I got asked, you know, because I get a lot of conservatives that are still pissed off that I'm uh, essentially anti-Trump and, and pro, uh, in this case, Joe Biden. I got asked on Twitter, so which policies of Joe Biden do you agree with? And my response was very straightforward. I'm in favor of the policies where Joe Biden is in favor of a presidency and not a monarchy, where he is a decent human being and not a pathological liar. And I'm in favor of the policy he has where a corrupt con man becomes an impeached one-term president. Correct. Those are the policies I'm in favor of with regard to Joe Biden. Because the other stuff, you know what, I'll disagree with and I'll criticize if it happens and I'll even attack if, if necessary. But that's way more important than the policy stuff. We're, we're about saving the patient here. This isn't about cosmetic surgery. This is about whether or not America dies on the table because democracy is going to be on the ballot in this election. 
And thank goodness it looks like the option isn't going to be Bernie Sanders, which means, you know, as I've said before, is essentially like uh, having a commissioner of the National Football League decide that he's going to change the sport to soccer. No, no, thank you. You know, that would make me even consider dealing with the battle to save democracy with another four years with Trump instead of eight years with Bernie Sanders. So last night was a very, very good night. And I like where the Biden people are headed. They're, they're going to be major challenges, major, major challenges. The, the, the Trump people are clearly going to try to make Biden look senile. Correct. At times, that's not going to be difficult. Correct. Because let's face it, Joe does not have uh, his uh, fastball. Uh, you know, he may not have had his fastball for quite a while. He is a gaff machine, machine. But I got it. I I believe that in a large way he's inoculated with most of the public the way that Trump is inoculated with his base, with a lot of his foibles, and the Hunter Biden conspiracy theories are going to be out in full force. That's going to be the Hillary Clinton's emails uh, of 2020. We're going to hear this constantly. So it's all going to be about Biden's mental health and Hunter Biden conspiracies. And that's going to work with some people, and that's going to give the the state-run right-wing media a lot to talk about. It's more than I would have liked. I I still believe that if you could wave a magic wand and you could make Amy Klobuchar your your nominee with a good VP, uh, then then that would probably be a better battle to have against Donald Trump. But that wasn't an option. This is the last best option, and Democrats decided— correctly. And, you know, I don't know whether or not Trump's going to be reelected, but at least he's not going to have it handed to him. And I got to mention one other thing that that Trump did today, which is just an indication. You want to talk about mental health. Uh, Yeah, he doesn't. He stumbles around more than he should. Uh, Not quite as much as Biden does. Let's be clear. Biden does this partially because he has had a lifelong stutter. So that's a disability he's been fighting his entire life. And so it's not really his fault. And it's not necessarily indication of dementia uh, or Alzheimer's or something like that. And certainly Trump makes more than his share of mistakes. But you're not going to see Joe Biden do something as just batshit crazy as this. So Jeff Sessions, who to me has always been the most underreported story in all of the Trump scandals. I mean, it is amazing, the, 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 the narrative of Jeff Sessions. Here is the narrative of Jeff Sessions. Senator from Alabama, the first major endorser of Donald Trump during his 2016 primary campaign. So Jeff Sessions was the first person to have the guts to come out and endorse a guy named Donald Trump, who was a freaking New York liberal, here he is, Jeff Sessions, an Alabama conservative, and Jeff Sessions gave Donald Trump huge street cred within the conservative movement. Correct. I, I was actually doing a, a weekend nationally syndicated radio show with a, with a person who's no longer a friend of mine because of the whole Donald Trump situation, a woman by the name of Leah Brandon. She was living in Alabama. She loves Jeff Sessions, because of his position on illegal immigration, loves Jeff Sessions. He's the whole reason why she started to become part of the Trump cult. So Trump ends up winning, and Jeff Sessions becomes the attorney general. Jeff Sessions 
does a pretty decent job. He does the right thing by recusing himself from the Russian investigation because he had a massive, direct, obvious conflict of interest. Trump trashes him, trashes him for over a year, making it clear he's going to fire him. But he doesn't have the guts to fire him until the day after Trump loses in, in big-time fashion the midterm election. Correct. The day after the midterm election, Trump fires him, which the media completely ignores. But it has always been my contention that that was the most egregious act of obstruction of justice that Trump committed during the entire uh, Mueller situation because he knew he needed an attorney general that was going to do his bidding for him. Correct. He knew that the Mueller report needed to be cut off at the knees and that Sessions wasn't going to be able to do that because he recused himself. So he fired Sessions, hired Barr to get him in there before the Mueller report came out. That's clearly what happened. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Well, Mueller didn't get into that because he couldn't have known at the time. He couldn't have known when he made his report that Bill Barr was actually a, an obstructor of justice himself, that he was going to essentially mute the entire thing, lie about it, distort, about, distort the whole thing, create a false narrative. Well, that was what the Jeff Sessions firing was all about. So Jeff Sessions takes all this in ignominy, he takes all this crap, and he decides after being fired as attorney general, he's going to run for a Senate seat in Alabama. And so he's going to get, trying to get his, essentially get his old job back. Well, it looked like Trump was going to be hands off, that Trump was going to, you know, at least let Jeff Sessions have a shot at this without doing anything to harm his campaign. Well, last night, Jeff Sessions was one of the two top vote getters for the, uh, the the Republican primary in Alabama for the Senate seat, but he did not get enough votes to avoid a runoff. So now he's going to have to run against Tommy Tuggerville, which is hilarious because he's a former head football coach at Auburn. So this, this is basically going to have an, uh, an Alabama versus Auburn rivalry uh, for the Republican nomination uh, for the U.S. Senate, which is just, uh, it's unbelievable. It's just flat out ridiculous. And Charles Barkley's an Auburn guy, so he'll understand. Uh, but he's probably in favor of Tuberville. I don't know. But, but I digress. The point here is that now there's going to be a runoff. So what does Trump, the stable genius, do? He tweets today, this is a quote from the President of the United States about the guy who endorsed him first, his former attorney general, who he hired to be attorney general. This is what happens to someone who loyally gets appointed attorney general of the United States and then doesn't have the wisdom or courage to stare down and end the phony Russia witch hunt, recuses himself on first day, it's in capital letters, so it must be very credible, in office, and the Mueller scam begins, exclamation point. That, ladies and gentlemen, is way more batshit crazy than anything that's going to come out of Joe Biden's mouth between now and the election. Correct. Uh, it's batshit crazy, not just because it's corrupt and it's the, the words of a mob boss and it's talk about disloyalty. I mean, Jeff Sessions has been unbelievably loyal to Donald Trump and it's gotten nothing in return. But, but more than that, it's incredibly stupid because now 
this is going to be seen as a message to the Republicans in Alabama to not vote for Jeff Sessions. And now Republicans in Alabama are in this bizarro world situation where one of their own, a true conservative, is trying to get his job back, a guy who was very loyal to the king, and now the king is saying, eh, you know what, this is what he gets for not being loyal enough. This New York City liberal, this New York City liberal, a con man, and, and Alabama Republicans, who knows, are probably going to end up nominating the wrong guy. And, and you know, I don't have anything against Tupperville, but, but first of all, he has no experience in this. And because he's an Auburn guy, I'm telling you, University of Alabama people are going to be disinclined to vote for him. You know what's going to re- be the result? Democrats might end up keeping the seat because of this. Doug Jones may somehow get reelected to the Senate after having voted to impeach Donald Trump. That's the bat crap crazy world we're living in. Correct. So when they try to tell you that Joe Biden is not all there, keep in mind what it really means to be not all there. That's Donald Trump. Correct. All right, that'll do it for this edition uh, of the podcast. Um, I'm going to put our, uh, I'm going to symbolically, this is both practically and symbolically done. I'm going to put the chances of Trump's reelection now that we pretty much know that Joe Biden is going to eventually be, uh, with, I'm sure, missteps along the way, the uh, Democratic nominee. I'm going to place his chances of reelection at exactly 50%. So we're going to start this thing essentially clean now. 50-50 shot of Trump being reelected. Uh, that's based upon the assumption that now Joe Biden is the is close to the presumptive Democratic nominee. Until next time, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual1pod. That's at individual1pod. Until next time, which will not be this weekend because I'm traveling, but we'll be back a week on Wednesday. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.